Just to explain uh, briefly right at the start that I'll be focusing uh, on verses 1 to 11. So if you're writing notes, it says 1 to 17 up there, but I'll be focusing on 1 to 11. Well, in a few weeks' time, God willing, I'm looking forward to seeing something that I've never seen before. In fact, very few of us have ever seen it before. The coronation of a king. In fact, you have to be in your 70s or above to have seen any coronation at all. In England, anyway. Well, yesterday uh, is known by some as Lazarus Saturday. Thought about that this morning. Today is Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and the crowds welcome him as their king. And tonight we're going to do that. We're going to look at the arrival of King Jesus into Jerusalem at the start of what some call Passion Week. Up until now, you may remember, Jesus has been telling everyone to keep his profile low, keep it quiet. When he does a miracle, he says, don't tell anyone. But now, Jesus allows himself to be declared as the Messiah, the promised king for the very first time. And I wonder how the disciples felt about that. There's certainly an element of nervousness, We saw that in the the Lazarus account as they knew that Jesus was a wanted man. There was a a bit of nervousness there, but there must have been some excitement as well. This is what they've been waiting for. Jesus can finally show everyone who he is and his power. He can be the king he is. Except, of course, that Jesus will be a very different sort of king to the king that anyone would imagine. This account in Jesus' life is really important. We know that because there's an eyewitness account of it in all four Gospels. And we're going to look at it uh, tonight under three P's. Three uh, words beginning with P. I didn't do this on purpose, but it fits in quite nicely that it's uh, Palm Sunday, so if that helps, then that's uh, a bonus. I hope it will help us get what's going on here in this account in, in Matthew. And also, it might help us remember them. We'll go through them one at a time. But we're going to see uh, the king arrives purposefully, the king arrives prophetically, and the king arrives peacefully. So firstly, let's look at the king, Jesus arriving purposefully. Now at this moment in time, there are a significant amount of people working feverishly hard to prepare for the coronation on Saturday the 6th of May. Everything will be planned uh, to the smallest detail. Nothing's left to chance with these sort of events. Plans have been in place, in fact, for many, many years. Now they're sort of pulling it all together. There's going to be two grand processions, so I understand. Um, We've seen similar processions in the past, haven't we? We can kind of picture what they look like. King Charles will ride in this at some point Um, all pretty grand and uh, the palace website says this their majesties the king and the queen consort will arrive at Westminster Abbey in procession from Buckingham Palace known as the king's procession well Jesus has been planning his own procession Jesus, uh, his arrival into Jerusalem, the fact that all the crowds are celebrating, you know, this wasn't an accident. This wasn't something that happened to him and it was just reported. 
This is something that's been planned for a long, long time. In fact, as we'll see when we get to the prophetic bit, this bit's been planned in detail for hundreds of years. When Luke chapter 9, we see uh, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. For quite a while now in his life, he's had Jerusalem in his sights. This is where he's been purposely aiming for. And just quickly, uh, look at where the triumphal entry uh, of Jesus fits into the different Gospels. Um, And and notice that everything that happens after that happens in in the the sort of the week of Jesus up to his death. So, in John, the triumphal entry is in chapter 12 of 20. Everything after that, all those extra chapters, are just about the last week of Jesus' ministry. In Mark, the triumphal entry is in chapter 11 of 16. In Luke, chapter 19 of 24. In Matthew, as we're looking at, chapter 21 of 28. John, Mark and Matthew, especially, they dedicate a large chunk of their life to this last week of Jesus' ministry. He's been alive 33 years. He's been ministering for a while, but so much of the Gospels is focused in on this last week. This is what it's all been building up to for Jesus. This is a sort of pinnacle of what he's been doing. He's completed all his other mission assignments. He's sort of teaching in other parts. He's training. He's done all that. Now he's heading personally to Jerusalem. And Jesus knows what's waiting for him when he gets to Jerusalem. In the chapter before this, Matthew 20, we see this. This is actually a verse of the day on the Olive Tree Bible app, if any of you use that. Uh, Matthew 20, verses 17 to 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day. Jesus was a wanted man in Jerusalem. People are plotting his death already, but he knows that. And he still goes. He's not going to stay away. And he's not going to sort of sneak in a side door, sort of hoping that no one notices that he can stay incognito. No, he's got a grand arrival planned into Jerusalem. And it's right at the time of the Passover. So this is a time when there's possibly up to an estimated 2 million people in and around Jerusalem. Jews coming from all over the country to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. It was packed. And now we we sort of zoom into the finer details as he plans to get into Jerusalem. We see this in verses 1 to 3. Look how purposeful this is. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. So a colt's a young donkey, a young male donkey, or horse. Uh, Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. We don't know exactly how Jesus knows about these donkey and this colt, um, but in one of the other Gospels, when they try to pick up the cult, they're challenged about it. What, what are you doing? So it seems there's no sort of prior arrangement. But we see here that Jesus calls himself Lord. He's the Lord of all. He's the sovereign orchestrator of all. It's no challenge for him at all to know what's going on. In fact, we saw that with Lazarus this morning. 
And everything happens as he says it will happen. All of this is under Jesus' control, just as he explains it. The disciples find a donkey and the colt, two animals. It's the only gospel where we see that both animals, and they bring them both to Jesus. And Jesus rides uh, the colt into Jerusalem. It's donkey. Why does he ride a donkey into Jerusalem? Because he's not just being purposeful. He's also being prophetic. Prophetic. He arrives prophetically. Matthew is filled with sort of fulfilments of the Old Testament prophecy. And he's writing to Jews who would have known the Old Testament well. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. And actually we see here that they know the Old Testament really well. A lot better, sadly, than we often know our Bibles. Well, Matthew makes one example super obvious for us in verses 4 and 5. So this is what he says in verse 4. He says, This took place to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion... Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That's what Zechariah, that's the prophet, had written about about 500 years beforehand. Palm Sunday had been planned in detail about 500 years beforehand. Let me quote Zechariah 9.9. This is where you get the quote from. There's a little bit more detail in there. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. So in other words, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you see why Matthew now gives us so much detail about picking up the donkey? The, the gospel writers are really concise with what they wrote. They didn't sort of faff about with flowery details. So why does does Matthew spend time giving all the details? Because it's fulfilling the prophecy in detail. Notice how accurate it is, this prophecy. The story carries on, verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Just to explain, he sat on the cloaks, not that he sat on two donkeys at once. Uh, Verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, he's given royal treatment. Now, if we jump again back into the Old Testament, in 2 Kings 9 verse 13, we see that King Jehu was given a similar welcome when he was announced as king for his coronation. And interestingly, Solomon as well, King David's son, great son Solomon, he rode a donkey at his coronation. It was a royal thing to do. And the crowd weren't just sort of throwing anything at Jesus, just anything they found. They were laying down their cloaks and palm branches. They're symbolically honouring Jesus as king. They're saying, Jesus, you are king in in their words and their actions. And the volume is pretty deafening as well. Verse 9, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! This too, this chant, is rich with prophecy. They call him the Son of David. That's the the universal name for the Messiah. The ultimate king who they've been waiting for so long. Son of David. And remember, Jerusalem was at the heart of what we might call sort of the, the messianic expectation. 
And so their excitement is at fever pitch. Here he is. The Messiah, we've been waiting for him for years. And he's come. The king has come. And what they're singing isn't just a random chant that someone made up and they think, oh, that's, that's good. They're all singing from Psalm 118 or a bit, a part of it. Do you know what Hosanna means? I'd forgotten. It means save us. Save us. This is what it says in Psalm 118, the bit they're singing. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. See, the crowd have recognised that he's the Messiah. This is great David's greater son. This is the king we've been waiting for. And remember that it's Passover time as well in Jerusalem. What do they remember at Passover? But they remember God rescuing them from an enemy. And now the Passover is here, and so is the Messiah, and they're crying out, save us, Hosanna, save us, Lord, because they're so desperate to be rescued from the Romans. They're so excited. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The whole of Jerusalem is being shaken by this arrival of King Jesus. Everyone's talking about it. They didn't have news or social media back then. Everything had to travel by word of mouth. And some people there are asking, who is this? And say, this is Jesus. He's the, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. He's the Messiah. And Jesus allows himself to be worshipped here because that is right and good. In fact, in another gospel, he says, look, if if they don't worship me, then even the rocks will cry out and worship me. He's the king and he deserves to be worshipped as such. But you know, so many of them, they're chanting all these things, but they're completely misunderstood why Jesus came. Because Jesus didn't come to Jerusalem to reign as king in Jerusalem to overthrow the Romans. He came peacefully to bring peace. So lastly, that's why it hasn't been working, thank you. He came peacefully. Look at how Jesus comes. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. One of the the key questions that comes up again and again in this, that people ask about this passage is why did Jesus ride a donkey? Why didn't he ride a stallion? You know, a war horse. Well, we've answered that partly in the prophetic because Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy. But there's a bit more to it as well. See, in the Middle East and well back then, kings and leaders, well, they would lead uh, war horses or horses if they went to war. But if they were coming in times of peace, then they would ride a donkey. It's what kings did. And Jesus is arriving as a king of peace. He's not arriving as a conquering king. Now, of course, the Romans may have laughed at him. They may have found this sight quite funny. It may not have appeared too threatening to them. One of the things that I've quite enjoyed doing over recent years is uh, reading historical fiction and especially some Roman historical fiction. And of course you have to be a little bit careful with it because 
there's a bit of artistic license there. They can sort of change dates around and things. So you have to be a bit careful not to trust all of it. But what it's very good at doing is giving you a really vivid picture of what life was like back then. What culture was like. What were their values? What was life like? And one of the things that struck me a couple of times when Caesar comes back to Rome as a victorious sort of general leader. And they have these triumphs. And they're these incredibly grand processions. And everything about it is about power and might and pomp and pride. You know, they have the the greatest horses. They have everyone cheering their name. Everything screams power. Everything screams, look at me. And yet Jesus, he doesn't come like that. Yes, he, he comes as king, people are chanting, but he comes humbly And he comes peacefully. Jesus has not come from a war. He's not going to a war. Jesus is king, but he's not trying to wrestle power away from the Romans to reign in Jerusalem. As Zechariah 9 says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. And they're all shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, save us, Jesus. They want to be saved. But what do we remember from Christmas? You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from the Romans. No! You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what he came to rescue them from. Jesus is not coming in judgment for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but to save the world through him. Jesus is coming peacefully to bring peace but not peace from the Romans. He's coming to bring Peace between mankind and God. That's what he's come to do. In fact, he's coming peacefully to offer himself freely and willingly as a sacrifice in our place so that we can know peace. Jesus is saying, I'm the king, but I'm not the sort of king you're thinking of. You know, the crowd want Jesus to make life easier for them. Deal with the Romans, make it easier, deal with our problems. But Jesus wants to give them an answer to their deepest problem. Jesus wants to give them a spiritual rescue. It's far more vital for them than anything else. And sadly, many of the crowd, they're not so interested in that. And so quickly they turn from shouting Hosanna to crucify him. You know, we can be the same, can't we, sometimes? Sometimes we can only be interested in Jesus when we think he might give us something. So maybe sometimes we worship that, I'm in trouble, Jesus, please help me. Or sometimes we worship the, please give me a favour, Jesus, so I could do with your, your help on this. Do we lose interest in Jesus when we Realise it's not just about making life easier for us. In fact, actually following Jesus often makes our life much harder. You know, what we need most is the spiritual rescuer, Jesus. That's the Jesus we really want. And if that's not the Jesus you're worshipping, I want to encourage you, worship Jesus because he can spiritually rescue you. He freely offers it to us. And on Friday, Good Friday, Jesus will die just as he's carefully planned, just as he's purposed. Colossians 1 tells us that he made peace through the blood of his cross.
But this morning we saw Jesus weeping at the death of Lazarus. In Luke 19 we see another time of Jesus weeping. It says he draws near to Jerusalem and Jesus wept over the city because he knew that they would ultimately reject him. He weeps over the city. And this is what he says. He says, if only you had known on this day what would bring you peace. If only you'd have known on this day what would bring you peace peace because Jesus is bringing true peace to them as he comes to offer himself and they reject him and in AD 70 Jerusalem is destroyed by the Romans we've been looking at uh, Zechariah 9 verse 9 this prophetic verse about Jesus coming on a donkey but the next verse carries on it tells us uh, what this king is going to do and find this sort of future vision of what this king will do for his people. And listen to how this king will make peace. It says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. See how he just takes away all the, the things of war? He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus will reign in this new creation as the ultimate king with universal peace. We celebrate him at Christmas, don't we, as the prince of peace. Here it's as if he's the king of peace. He's the king of peace. You know, how we respond to King Charles III's coronation isn't super important. You may enjoy the pageantry and you may enjoy watching it. Maybe you're not too fussed. But the bigger question that we're left with this evening is how do we respond to King Jesus? You know, we've been thinking about the king, uh, sorry, the crowds responding to Jesus. But how do we respond? In our hearts, what's our response? In Matthew 21, we've seen the crowds. They're, they're praising God. Hosanna, save us, son of David. But their praise doesn't continue. They don't really understand what's going on. But in Revelation 7, we we get a picture of Jesus being worshipped by all these people that he has saved who truly understand who he is, who truly understand that he's the King of Kings, who truly understand that he's glorious. Listen to this. Listen to this worship. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. They knew salvation was of the Lord and they worshipped him. We're going to sing a couple of songs now. These songs focus on Jesus as king. In fact, the first song is King of Kings. And I hope you feel you can join in 
with the worship. There's a sense in which we almost join in with heaven's worship as we sing these. Maybe you feel you can really sing this one. And can we have a quick look at the next one as well, Rich? Jesus shall take the highest honour. So we're going to sing these two songs. I hope you can sing them. If you can't, maybe you don't feel you can worship like that at the moment. Well, pray that you can. Turn this into a prayer that you will worship him as the King of Kings. So when the music starts, let's stand and let's sing these two songs together.
Lord God, we thank you for the account that we've read tonight. Lord, we thank you that you are the Messiah, the Son of David, the true King, the King of Kings. Lord, I pray that we would worship you as such. And Lord, we see now what they couldn't see. Lord, we see how you gave yourself up so that we could have peace. So that we could know you. So that we could be with you in glory. Lord, I pray that that would amaze us. Lord, I pray that we'd go away from this place singing your praises. But yet, Lord, we know that there were many people in the Gospels who saw the things that you did and yet, Lord, didn't believe. Lord, their hearts were hard. Lord, I pray that we would not be like that this evening. Lord, for any hard hearts here this evening, Lord, I pray that you would make them tender. Soften them, I pray. Lord, give them a new heart if that's what they need. Lord, I pray that each one of us may bow before you as king while we can, before it is too late. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.